What is going on, DMV? How's everybody doing tonight? 106.7 The Fan is on your AM, FM dial. We're on the Odyssey app, and we are on the stream at thefandc.com. However, you're tuned in tonight. We appreciate you hanging out with us for just a bit. I'm Danny Noakes. I got my guy Vic Ferreira in studio producing the show. We're with you up until 7.45 tonight, leading right into Tech Talk Live, a favorite program of mine personally, right? Virginia Tech alum, eh, not a good night for Virginia Tech last night. Dropping one on the road in Charlottesville to the Virginia Cavaliers. Very good UVA team, as they always are under head coach Tony Bennett. We got a lot to get to over the next hour and 15 minutes, a little bit less than that by now. So hit us up if you want to jump in on the conversation at any point. The MGM National Harbor listener line will be open, 800 636 1067. You can get in touch with us there. You can also shoot me a tweet if you want. I'm at Danny Noakes there. You can tweet the station as well at 1067 The Fan. No guests today. We're wide open. That is by design. With only an hour and 15 minutes, we got some football to preview, some football to look back on, some scenarios to look at for potential new offensive coordinators for the Washington Commanders, as well as some news that I wanted to get to here at the top of the show, starting with the fact that Deron Payne is officially headed to the Pro Bowl. You heard it from our guy Byron Kerr in his latest update just a couple of minutes ago. And if not, maybe you're just jumping in the car now. Yes, Deron Payne will be heading to the Pro Bowl. He was originally named an alternate, but has now replaced the injured Aaron Donald, who will not be participating in the Pro Bowl games, I should say, right? It's not a game per se anymore, but the Pro Bowl games, a... <laughs> litany of different agility drills and seven on seven that they'll be do that they'll be doing because of course the pro bowl itself is no longer worth playing guys are not interested in putting their careers on the line for a game that has no meeting and it's hard to blame them for that but february 5th the date of the game Deron Payne, obviously very good season 11 and a half sacks 64 tackles 20 hits on the quarterback here throughout the season by far his best year to date and it's as he gets ready to hit free agency. So will the commanders hang on to him? What sort of offer are they going to have to give him? It is a conversation that I want to save for tomorrow. I will be back here on overtime, 6.30 to 9 p.m. tomorrow evening. And we'll get a little bit more in-depth on the Deron Payne situation. He'll join Jonathan Allen, Terry McLaurin, Tressway, and Jeremy Reeves, his commander's teammates at this year's Pro Bowl game. So that's all great news, but I want to kick things off too with other matters at hand and what a lot of the conversation on this station as well as around the DMV has been centered on these last couple of days, a little over a week at this point. But you'd first you'd think the first step that the commanders would be taking toward the next season, 2023-2024, is to fill that now vacant offensive coordinator position that was of course, vacated by Scott Turner. He got let go. And the team announced earlier this week that they would be interviewing Pat Shermer. There has been several there have been several other candidates that have been interviewed by the commanders as well. Pat Shermer stood out to me because a couple of reasons. One, the team actually announced themselves via their own social media accounts that they would be interviewing Shermer, which is always funny to me. It's just kind of awkward, right? You're putting out an article about someone that you're interviewing. But you're probably not going to end up giving them the job. It's sort of the same way that teams, and by the way, the commanders aren't the only team that do this, not even close. But there are also teams that will put out 
potential draft picks come the NFL draft, you know, the end of March and, and into April when there's mock drafts, a go-go, pretty much anywhere that you could look on the internet and you have teams putting out potential draft picks that they could ultimately select when even the team has no idea who they might end up taking, especially if you're, you're further back. But I digress because Pat Shermer specifically, and we're going to get to some of these other candidates as well, former Browns and Giants head coach, but his last position, 2020 to 2021 offensive coordinator for the Denver Broncos. Now, some other guys I mentioned, they've requested interviews with Falcons quarterback coach Charles London, Dolphins quarterback coach and pass game coordinator Darren Bevel, uh, John Kime of ESPN reporting that the commanders are interested in speaking to Dolphins associate head coach and running back coach Eric Studsville. Uh, so he he also noted, by the way, that Jim Caldwell and Frank Reich are possibilities, but obviously I think both of those guys have at least a decent chance of getting a head coaching job. So taking an offensive coordinator job would certainly be a step back for each of them. Frank Reich recently being let go by the Indianapolis Colts. And both of those guys, at least in the last several years, have been let go from their head coaching position of the Indianapolis Colts. Now, related to this, the commanders are also telling these offensive coordinator candidates that Sam Howell is going to enter next year as the starting quarterback. And with that, there's good news and bad news. The good news is, I think going to Sam Howell here is very much the right move. I know we've only seen one game from him, and it was against the Dallas team that, if we're being honest, did not want to be on the field a couple of Sundays ago. And I said in the lead-up to that game that we weren't going to learn a whole lot about how one way or another, whether he played really well or whether he played really bad or somewhere in between. And I still believe that to be true. And I think he went out there and he played somewhere in between lean playing well. He did throw an interception, but he threw a touchdown, also ran for one, and the commanders convincingly won the game. Now, Kendall Floor had a defensive touchdown as well, so it was more of a team effort than it was Sam Howell's performance putting the commanders over the top, but the reality of the situation that the commanders are in is you can't afford to go and spend another couple of draft picks on another quarterback like you did with Wentz last year. You've already got a young quarterback on your roster, and you need to learn more about him. So any other decision than starting how is likely to just set the franchise back another couple of years anyway. Your first-round draft pick is somewhere in the middle, like it has been often over the last several years. It's not worth trading up to get one of these guys when you know what the price is going to be for that. It's going to be much higher than what you gave up for Wentz last year. But they got lucky in trading for Wentz that they were able to cut him with essentially no penalty. And to my knowledge, that hasn't happened yet. It's probably going to happen relatively soon. But they did still give up draft picks for him. Therefore, it is a negative transaction for the commanders. We knew that, though, right? That's, that's old news. So going into this next season, actually knowing that you've got a young guy to start and try and develop, I think is both exciting and not a bad thing. It's not a bad position to be in. He's had a year of NFL experience, even if he only did start one game. I'd rather take a chance on that than than one of these older quarterbacks that's going to be on the market this year. Now, that's the relatively good news. The bad news here is I'm wondering if any of these potential offensive coordinator hires even matter. Do they get you excited? Because it's hard to get excited when it's likely that none of these guys, whoever it is, right, whoever one of the, and, and I've got more names that I'll get to in the next segment, we're going to break here in just a minute, but 
in a couple of years, maybe maybe it's within this next year. No one's going to be around that's on the current coaching staff when Dan Snyder sells the team. When a new owner comes in, he's likely going to clean house. He'll get himself a new head coach. He'll get himself an entirely new staff. That's usually what happens. That's what happens across any other sort of business, right? A new CEO comes in, and, and a lot of things change. You start moving some things around. Some people get let go. Some people get reorged, right? But it never looks the same. And the candidates themselves also have to look at it that way, right? If you're looking at this from Pat Shermer's point of view or Byron Leftwich, like we will get to in the next segment, recently let go by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. You have to factor all of this into whether or not you would take this job. So you know that you're probably not going to be around very long, even if you're very successful. So most of the younger candidates still trying to make a name for themselves might not be as interested, but maybe someone that's closer to becoming a head coach and just needs another season or two, another final step before he gets that head honcho gig. We'll see what happens. It's a weird situation, but we'll step aside. We'll take a quick break. We'll come back and we'll look at some of the more exciting candidates, I suppose, at least more polarizing candidates that that became available today and they're being linked to the commander's vacant offensive coordinator position. The likelihood of either of them coming to D.C., how high is that? I don't know. We'll discuss it. It's coming up next on 106.7 The Fan. Danny Noakes with you tonight on 106.7 The Fan. My guy Vic Ferreira in studio producing the show. With you until about 7.45 tonight, a little bit before 7.45 is when we will hand things off to Tech Talk Live, recapping the Hokies' loss to UVA last night. Tough one for Virginia Tech. They've now lost six in a row in the ACC. And speaking of college basketball, Maryland has a game tonight at home against the Michigan Wolverines. Big Ten matchup, 7 o'clock on ESPN. So that's just about ready to tip off and another area game to keep an eye on not happening here in the DMV tonight, but it does concern one of the area's teams. That would be the Washington Capitals. They are on the road at the Arizona Coyotes. They've got a 9 PM puck drop. So once we get done, that's where my focus will be. And I have a few minutes to ensure that I'll be able to get over to the TV and watch that. Now, we talked some NFL, talked a little commanders in the first segment, looking at potential offensive coordinator candidates. Here are a couple of more, because today the Ravens offensive coordinator, Greg Roman, announced that he would be resigning from his position. Now, I think people around here, right, there are a lot of Ravens fans mixed in with the commanders fans and whoever other fans there are of in the DMV. I understand it's a transient area. A lot of people coming in from a lot of different areas. But J.P. Finley, I think, of B. Mitch and Finley here on 106.7 The Fan put it at least into perspective pretty well. I think on Twitter earlier today he said, Greg Roman has been an offensive coordinator for 10 seasons in his career with three different teams. He had the number one rushing attack in the NFL four different times. That's 40% of the time. And never finished lower than eighth in the NFL in rush offense. So he knows how to run the ball. That's well documented, right? But... You see it, a lot of Ravens fans are rejoicing at him being let go. And I saw Grant Paulson both tweet about it and listen to him talk about it on Grant and Danny just before we jumped on here for overtime. But his tweet today was that he felt it was an unpopular opinion that the commanders should interview Greg Roman for their offensive coordinator job because he's so good at getting his teams to run the ball. And it's no secret that Ron Rivera wants to also run the ball. And that's fine. I have no problem with the mentality 
to run the ball first when you've got Brian Robinson, Antonio Gibson in the backfield with J.D. McKissick there to spare them both. But as some fans have correctly pointed out, you've got Terry McLaurin, you've got Jahan Dotson, you've got Curtis Samuel, and you're just going to try and pound the rock you know, a bunch of times a game. It doesn't make a ton of sense when we know how good all three of those guys are. It doesn't mean that they should turn into, you know, a, a team that's spreading out and throwing the ball 40 to 50 times a game. But I have found that as a football fan, the offensive coordinator is generally the most ridiculed coach on the staff, and that is even more so oftentimes than the actual head coach. And that's because it's several reasons, but... I think everyone wants to see offense. Everyone wants to see teams score. You can't win if you don't score. So a lot of the time, and it's not every time, but a lot of the time when the team struggles, the first guy to be criticized is the offensive coordinator. So Greg Roman able to keep the Ravens in the playoff picture without having Lamar Jackson for the last two months, six games he missed at the end of the season. And if not for Huntley fumbling the ball in the goal line last weekend against Cincinnati in the wildcard game on Sunday night, the Ravens may have actually pulled off that upset. Now, does that mean that he should have kept his job and that he's a good offensive coordinator? Probably not. But it does, when you look on paper, you look at the teams that he's coached and the success that they've had around the ball, he's at least got that going for him. But how well is he able to air it out in his offenses is a little bit of a question that still needs to be answered. And he had Lamar Jackson the year that he won MVP, and Lamar had a very prolific passing year that season. He wasn't just a guy that could run the football, and I think everybody has to give Lamar at least that. So you've got Greg Roman as one potential possibility. You also saw today the Bucks fired offensive coordinator Byron Leftwich. He was one of nine total coaching assistants that were fired by the team today, according to Pro Football Talk. And he was the Bucks offensive coordinator, as we all remember, the year that they won the Super Bowl with Tom Brady, with Rob Gronkowski, Mike Evans, Antonio Brown, Leonard Fournette, not to mention they had a very, very, very good defense that year. Here's something I found interesting from CBS Sports. Byron Leftwich's offense ranked in the NFL in 2019 at 28.6 points per game. That was tied for third. In 2020, it jumped up to 30.8 points per game. That was good for third by itself. In 2021, came back down to 30.1 points per game, but that was good enough for second in the league. Before this past season, it came way down to 18.4 points per game, which was 25th in the NFL. But 2019, Jameis Winston was his starting quarterback, so he did serve as an offensive coordinator for someone other than Tom Brady while he was there in Tampa Bay. So left, which I think is a guy that certainly deserves the opportunity again to be an offensive coordinator somewhere. He's still relatively young, certainly when you look at him in, in terms of coaching age, but uh, he's a guy that I think, you know, wouldn't be the worst solution to come in here and, and try and open up this offense a little bit, get the ball to guys like Terry McLaurin. Right. But again, and I said this in the first segment, whether it's Leftwich, whether it's Roman, whoever it is, offensive coordinators are going to look at the commander's situation and say, okay, well, I know I'm probably not going to be there for very long, knowing that a new owner is likely to come in and they'll shake things up. So do I really want to take that job? On top of the fact that there's always just a lot of controversy around this team anyway. So it's something to consider. And, you know, Eric Bieniemy, the offensive coordinator for the Chiefs, they're having another great year, another big game this weekend. And, of course, the, the, the production on offense is a big part of that. 
He's been a guy that's been up for head coaching gigs for the last several years, has not been able to land one yet, but I don't think that there's any chance he'll make a lateral move to, to go somewhere as an offensive coordinator. He's got the best offensive coordinator job in football already, right? You get to play, you get you get to coach Patrick Mahomes and, and play in an offense that's designed by Andy Reid. You really can't fail, but I, I don't think Leftwich would want the commander's job. I certainly know Bienemy wouldn't. He he's got head coaching gigs on his mind, so it's it's going to be a tough situation to to see shake out. I I don't have high hopes for whoever they end up getting. I don't love the fact that they've interviewed guys like Shermer. It, it doesn't get me excited. We've we've seen that experiment fail a couple of times, and and I am referring to him as a head coach, but. I, his offenses don't exactly get me fired up to see what he could do with the new toys that he would get coming here to D.C. So let's step aside. We'll take another quick break. That's a short list of some of the coordinators that are out there that could be Washington's next offensive coordinator. Just kind of got to have to wait and see. Maybe you get some news here on the ownership stakes, right? There's been some bidding over the last week or so. That's another thing that I'm going to save for tomorrow when we're back on the air for overtime because coming up next, I want to talk some Washington Capitals dropped their last game to the Minnesota Wild, but they're back on the road tonight for a game against the Arizona Coyotes. We're talking about that next on 106.7 The Fan. Thanks for joining us tonight for Overtime on 106.7 The Fan, kicking off the 7 o'clock hour. We're with you only about another 39 minutes or so, jumping off at 7.45. We will hand it off to the folks for Tech Talk Live, Virginia Tech Hokies Talk Coming your way. 800-636-1067 is the MGM National Harbor listener line. You can call us there. That's where we go right now. Let's welcome in Stu in Bethesda, who's calling in. Stu, thanks for calling in. What you got on your mind tonight? Stu, you yeah. there, partner? Thank hey. What's I up, think Byron Leftwich will be a great hire. Yeah? I'm a local kid. Uh, I think he'll do well, but a young quarterback. Uh, helping out... Um, you know, quarterback become a great quarterback, and you know, see him and see a local kid come home and do well, and take his hometown team to the next level. I think that would be great. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you, Stu. You know, Thanks he for the HD with the red. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right, Stu. I appreciate it. Thanks for the call. And I, I've heard that, too, about him coming home, being a local kid, that whole angle. I think that would be really neat. I think Leftwich would be one of the best-case scenarios for the Commanders this offseason. Now, I think the jury is still very much out on how successful an offensive coordinator he can be. But I think the larger question when it comes to Byron Leftwich here is that does he want to come to the Commanders, right? I, I've been kind of laying it out over the last couple of segments where – you're one of these offensive coordinators looking for a new job, but you have to look at all of the potential scenarios of what could play out when you come here to be the team's OC. And you'd be working under Ron Rivera, sure, but how long would you be working here? That's an answer that nobody has because whether or not Dan Snyder sells the team in the next six months, the next year, the next two years, we just don't know how quickly things are, are going to come to fruition. It seems like it's it's closer to happening than not. So maybe we see that sale happen this year, but it's still very much in the air. So I, I would be okay with Le I think Leftwich would be better than Pat Shermer, right? I think we could pretty clearly make that distinction right there. But you start to put Leftwich up against someone like Greg Roman. Just kind of depends on what you want the offense to look like. I, I know a lot of folks out there think and hear Greg Roman and say, oh, please, no. 
whoever comes in will be able to find a way to run the ball. Greg Roman can't figure out a way to have his passers be successful in airing it out, which is not entirely true because Lamar Jackson did have some successful years under him. But I understand the, the hesitation there. I think left, which would be one of the better options for the commanders. I want to talk some capitals this segment, 800-636-1067. That's the MGM National Harbor listener line. If you do want to give us some questions, comments, thoughts, concerns, whatever you got. The Caps are on the road tonight for a game against the Arizona Coyotes. But if we go back a couple of nights ago, they did drop their last game to the Minnesota Wild 4-2 at home inside Capital One Arena. That was on Tuesday night. It was a 3-2 game led by the Wild for pretty much the entirety of the third period until Minnesota did punch in an empty netter in the final minute of the game. Martin Faravari got the caps on the board and in the lead with a goal to make the score one nothing. That was toward the end of the first period. Finished the game with a goal and an assist. Faravari's been one of the guys that stepped up pretty well in the absence of Nick Backstrom and Tom Wilson. No longer have to worry about that. We'll get to it here in just a second. But obviously, not enough. The Caps did drop that one to a pretty good Minnesota Wild team. And Minnesota third in the Central Division at the moment behind Winnipeg and Dallas with a record of 25-14. and 14. Good for 54 points on the season. Charlie Lindgren in net for the Caps that night. 18 saves, facing 21 shots. Dylan Strome, by the way, had the other goal. So... Washington is trying to get back on track tonight. It's been a pesky little stretch here for the Caps over the last few weeks, having gone 4-6 and six in their last 10 games. Not bad. That did include back-to-back -back losses in a home-and-home -home to the Flyers. That one stings a little bit. So what the Caps have going for them right now is that they finally do have Backstrom and Wilson back, as we just alluded to. And the last time I did a show was just under two weeks ago, Saturday morning, and we got the pleasure of breaking the news that Backstrom would be returning, only to come off the air and then have them announce that Wilson would also be returning just a couple of minutes later. That's how things work. Ask the junkies. All the big news comes just after 10 a.m. when the junkies get off the air. That's how it goes. But it's the, it's the moment everyone had been waiting for. I think we're seeing results pretty quickly. Nothing was prettier to me than in the game against the Islanders back on Monday night, where Backstrom had the puck deep in the offensive zone toward the end of the second period. It's a little bit behind the net. He was kind of weaving his way through the defense. And then all of a sudden, he zips a quick little pass to Tom Wilson, finds him right in front of the net. A great look, and Wilson puts it home to cut the Isles' lead to one goal at that point in the game. And then the Capitals would go on to tie it in the third with an Oshi goal. And, and later go on to win the game in overtime with Dmitry Orlov scoring the game winner. So it's no secret that they missed those guys, and having both Backstrom and Wilson back makes their offense that much tougher to stop. Caps have always been an offensive team with Ovechkin, and that's never going to change, and that's totally fine because that's their strength, and calling it a strength is probably not even giving them enough credit considering the history that... Ovechkin is making, as well as the the rest of the offense being as productive as they have been. I think Kuzi's having a good year. Oshie, when he's been healthy, he's been very good as well. But getting back Ian Wilson back into the lineup, it makes them even better. The coaching staff has having to shuffle some guys around. Saw Nicholas Abe Kubel was one of the guys that the day they came back, Backstrom and Wilson, he was a healthy scratch despite having scored in back-to-back -back games. Anthony Mantha was also a healthy scratch, but 
both he and Nicholas Abe Kubel are back in the lineup since then. Those are just the tough decisions that the coaching staff is going to have to make the rest of the season. But ultimately, it's a good problem to have. You've got more guys that you're confident in than shifts to give out on any given night when you're playing against the team. So tonight, enter the Coyotes, who present a good opportunity for the Caps to get back on track with a win. Arizona's 14-25-5 this season. A 8-6-2 record at home, so they're much better on their home ice. And the Coyotes are coming off a win over the Red Wings, 4-3. to They did that in a shootout on Tuesday night, and it snapped a nine-game losing streak for Arizona. So this is a good opportunity for the Caps to get back on track with the win tonight. 9 p.m. puck drop. It's the Washington Capitals and the Arizona Coyotes. We'll step aside. We'll take a quick break. We'll come back. I've got more NFL news to give you before we wrap up the show. Hand it off around 745. Stick around. You're listening to 106.7 The Fan. Quick update for you from the Maryland-Michigan game happening over in College Park. It's on ESPN if you want to check it out. Just under 12 minutes to go in the first half. It's a 15-6 lead for the Maryland Terrapins. 11-6 on the season, 2-4 and four in the Big Ten, while Michigan 10-7 and seven on the year, 4-2 and two in the Big Ten. Do battle in conference play. 15-6 to six the score, just under 12 minutes to go there. In the first half, I'm Danny Noakes with you tonight for overtime on 1067. The fan, Vic Ferreira, producing the show. We're with you for another 20, 25 minutes or so. Going to get back into some other NFL news here before we wrap up the show in our final segment. I thought this was cool today. There were several commanders coaches on the staff that were named as folks that would be getting looks and getting some additional training and a part of some of the initiatives that the NFL is putting into place to develop younger coaches. And one of those coaches is Jennifer King, who's on the staff. And not only will she be a part of what we just spoke of, but Jennifer King is also going to coach the running backs at the Senior Bowl this year. And specifically, she'll coach the national team. She's the commander's assistant running backs coach, became the first black female assistant coach in NFL history after the 2020 season. Coached in last year's East-West Shrine Bowl, so it's a really cool moment for her. The Senior Bowl, I believe, is the first weekend in February. I believe, Not I have to double-check that, I believe, though, it is the weekend before the Super Bowl. And the Super Bowl has obviously been bumped back the last couple of years now with the additional game of the regular season in the NFL. Week 18, that is. So, there you go. Now, we've spoke about Greg Roman, the offensive coordinator for the Ravens, resigning, putting himself out onto the market, whether or not he'd be a good fit for the commanders. Sure, that's a conversation that we'll continue to have until the commanders do have a new offensive coordinator. But what else is happening over there in Baltimore is definitely weird. The situation between Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens. A knee injury is what kept Lamar out of the last six games, as we all know. GM Eric DaCosta said today in a press conference that he doesn't believe there's a connection between Lamar's contract situation and his absence from the field. It was actually he and head coach Jim Harbaugh addressing the media today about their desire to get a long-term deal done with Lamar Jackson and keep him in Baltimore. I definitely believe that. Why would you want to force yourself to go out and find a quarterback 
most of the NFL is still trying to figure out a long-term solution at quarterback, right? I would say maybe 12 teams are content with their situation, and, and that might even be a little bit generous there. But you definitely had some frustration in Baltimore that Jackson didn't come back before the Ravens were eliminated by the Bengals on Sunday night. But to me, if you're hurt, you're hurt. And I have the absolute pleasure of doing a segment on a podcast with Michael Vick and his cousin Dwight Vick, both of whom I consider friends. And Mike came out in this, that what well, I mean, all the speculation going around with Lamar Jackson. And Mike was on, I believe it was the pregame show for the NFL, NFL on Fox. And he basically told Lamar Jackson to put a brace on it, get out there. And he cited having played on an injured knee, believe it was an MCL himself before. And to that, I would definitely disagree. And because not just the fact that Lamar Jackson is in line for a big payday, but you could ruin your career by going out there before you're actually ready to do it. I don't care what you think is the situation because the reality is I have to believe that only Lamar, the Ravens, and the medical staff know exactly what's going on with his knee. So I actually disagreed quite a bit with that, with that statement from Mike. Now, RG3 on Twitter basically said, don't risk it. I know what happens if you risk it. And if anybody knows, it's RG3, right? RG3 got hurt against the Baltimore Ravens in the regular season in 2012. Haloti Nada came across and hit him. It was a little bit awkward. You were hoping that it wasn't going to be too bad. And at first it wasn't because Kirk Cousins came in. He finished the game. He won that game for the Redskins and then started another game while RG3 sat out. RG3 came back, and obviously in the playoff game against the Seattle Seahawks, he ended up fully tearing his ACL, and he was never the same quarterback again. So if I'm the Ravens, I'm finding a way to get this deal done, one way or another. You can't let a former MVP just walk out the door. We've seen how limited that offense is when Lamar is not in the game. When they play against a team that can defend well against the run, it never goes well for the Ravens, especially when they don't have Lamar Jackson. He's only played, I'll say this, he's only played 12 games in each of the last two years when he played in no less than 15 games for the first three years of his career. But his first season, he was kind of in and out of the lineup. He wasn't the entrenched starter. Now, his interceptions came down from 13 last year to just seven this season. He had 17 passing touchdowns and three running for 20 total. But if you'll remember, the Baltimore Ravens could not keep that backfield healthy this year or last. J.K. Dobbins has missed a ton of time over the last couple of years. So has Gus Edwards, among others. And here's the craziest thing about all of this to me. The Ravens don't have any good receivers. <laughs> Mark Andrews is fantastic. He's probably one of the three best tight ends in the game right now, if, if not top two there with Kelsey. He's great. But now that they've traded Marquise Brown, there's very little explosiveness on the outside for them, right? Between, what, Robinson, a very old Deshaun Jackson. You know, they just don't have Devin Duvernay. I mean, you have an all-pro quarterback on your roster, and, and these are the guys that you have to throw to. I'm not saying that they're terrible, that they're bad, but 
when you start to look at why his production isn't better, well, that should probably be along with the fact that there's so many injuries to their backfield where you first look. So I, I certainly don't fault Lamar for a lot of the Ravens' struggles recently. Would I, if I'm a coach, I would love to see him take fewer hits, but I think he could use some help out there at wide receiver too. I, I, I definitely think that he could use a, a little bit of assistance out there, you know, and it, it sounds like John Harbaugh and, and the Ravens brass are going to do pretty much everything to, to get a deal done. What the number actually looks like is definitely going to be interesting to see because Patrick Mahomes has, has obviously gotten a, a big payday recently. Rogers got a big payday recently. Josh Allen got a big payday recently. And, you know, just kind of looking at Lamar's accolades because he plays in the AFC, he'll have to go up against Mahomes and Josh Allen pretty much every single year, not to mention Justin Herbert. And if Russell Wilson ever gets things together, maybe he'll find his way back into at least a, a conversation about some of the best quarterbacks in the league. But it's it's hard for someone like Lamar to, to make all pro every single year when you've got that, that stiff competition to go up against. And He's already been an MVP. I, 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 the the year that he went on to 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 win MVP and was the the talk of the league. He was as electric as anyone in the NFL that season. You saw him clicking on all cylinders, be it through the air or on the ground. And I think the way that that is going to continue is if you're you're able to put some more explosive talent around him. They they need to address their wide receiver position. They, they need to ensure that their running backs can stay a little bit healthier. So there's a lot more that, that they need to figure out. And, and, you know, the good news for Baltimore is, like I said a couple of segments ago, despite the fact that they didn't have Lamar Jackson for that playoff game against the Bengals, they had a very good chance to win. And if not for Tyler Huntley fumbling on the goal line there, trying to jump over the pile and having the ball knocked out and it eventually being returned for a touchdown, that game might have looked completely different. I mean, that was a huge play that we weren't even sure was going to count when it happened, and then it ultimately does, and really that was kind of the difference in the game. I mean, you think about it, that was likely a 14-point swing. So if there's hesitation on the Ravens' side, shoot, bring him to D.C. Boy, would we love to have Lamar Jackson Washington, D.C. It'll never happen, trust me. I'm not getting my hopes up. And I do think that at some point, they will get a deal done. I'm sure that it probably won't be as high a number as Allen or Mahomes. And whether that's fair or not is certainly up for debate. But his career is probably going to be a little bit shorter because of the way that he plays. Although, Josh Allen runs the ball a heck of a lot, too even if it looks a little bit different. You know, Josh Allen tries to hurdle guys a little bit more often, I would say. So they got to figure that out. There's no way I'm letting him walk out the door. And I don't know if there's any movement on it yet, but you had Harbaugh and and DeCosta, the GM, going out today, media availability, and expressing their desire to get that long-term deal done. So I'm taking them at their word there and going to assume that they do get it done because it's really hard to imagine. His rookie deal is up. It's hard to imagine, A, them letting him walk, B, them trading him, or C, them putting him, uh, sticking him with the franchise tag because that's just going to make things worse. If you stick the franchise tag on him, you might have him for one more year, and then he's definitely going to walk. That's just not going to help the situation at all. All right, let's step aside. 
We'll take a quick break. We'll come back, and it'll be our final segment. We will wrap up the show here on a Thursday. You're listening to 106.7 The Fan. Man, I don't know if there's things a lot funnier than Grant Paulson's Fiona voice for his little French bulldog. That ad cracks me up every single time. 106.7 The Fan with you, Danny Noakes. Just another 10 minutes or so for overtime. My guy Vic Ferrer producing the show. It's been fun. It's been a short show. We'll be back with you tomorrow for overtime. I will at least from 6.30 to 9 p.m. So we'll have a little bit more time to dive deeper into some of these topics that we've got to today. Offensive coordinator for the commanders. Who might the new owner be? We'll preview in depth the NFL matchups for this weekend. Who will be going to the NFC and AFC championship games? That's going to be a heck of a lot of fun. I saved a lot of the good stuff for tomorrow. So real quick update, just over five minutes to go in the first half. Maryland is hosting Michigan Big Ten matchup. The Terrapins with a 28-18 lead over the Wolverines. Terps looking for their third conference win of the season. 11-6 they came into this game while Michigan 10-7, 4-2. In the Big Ten, Maryland hoping to knock them off. And by the way, I meant to bring this up a little bit earlier in the show because this is other big news coming out of the college basketball world. But Notre Dame head coach Mike Bray is planning to step down at the end of the season. 23-year run in South Bend. He's become Notre Dame's winningest head coach in men's basketball program history. And just to put it into perspective, along with some of the other major head coaches in college basketball right now, Jim Beheim has the most wins at their current school of coaches that are still in action with 1,010 of them at Syracuse. Tom Izzo, a little bit further behind, 678 wins at Michigan State. So Beheim's got a pretty cushy lead there. Mark Few is just behind Izzo with 673 at Gonzaga. Mike Bray is down here seventh among active coaches with 481 wins at Notre Dame. So Bray will step aside at the end of the season and allow somebody else to become the head coach at Notre Dame. A lot of them leaving the ACC. Saw Coach K leave. Roy Williams has left. Mike Bray leaving now. Feels like Jim Beheim is probably next. We'll see when that might happen. But I wanted to close the show because... Uh, with a little bit of story, I attended a wedding last weekend in Sarasota, Florida, Siesta Key. It was absolutely awesome. Had a f- an absolute blast. It was beautiful. Big shout out to the Riddles on tying the knot. Brett and Emma, they're dear friends of ours whom we love immensely. Both are Hokies and both are Nova, Northern Virginia born and raised. Brett, like me, is from Chantilly while Emma went to Oakton. It's an amazing weekend. Beautiful ceremony. We had all sorts of great food all throughout the weekend. I had Southern... Eggs Benedict, which was fried chicken, gravy. Oh, my God. I can't even get into it. It was just absolutely delicious. And not to mention, we had a lobster roll at another place. Really good eating down there. And it made watching Super Wildcard Weekend very interesting because the ceremony was on Saturday at 4.30. So the Niners-Seahawks game was happening during the ceremony and the reception. And fast forward to a little bit later on that night, we're walking into this club it's absolutely bumping on Siesta Key, right? You've got the rave lights going. They've got bottle service set up for us on a stage, too, which was just co- the coolest thing. I'd never had bottle service. Probably never will again. That was awesome. But almost as soon as we walked in the door, the Jags are lining up to try and knock off the Chargers. And we've been checking the scores all night, so we already can't believe that the Jags have come back to 
have a chance to even win this game, to erase that 27-point deficit. And obviously, you all know the way that one ended. Jags kick the field goal. It's up, and it barely squeaks through. It was a fun moment to watch unfold in a crowded nightclub. Uh, I am looking forward to having the this weekend be a little bit more normal and watching the games from the comfort of my own house with our, our new sound bar and, and a beautiful 65-inch LED 4K TV. That's going to be good. As much fun as I had last weekend, and I would do it all again. But so the festivities wrapped up on Sunday, and a lot of the group from the wedding was hanging on Siesta Key Beach for most of the day. We were listening to music, having a good time. Toward the end of the Miami and Buffalo game, we head to a bar. Our whole group is there. There's maybe 20 of us. But six of us were situated at the actual bar where the rest of the group was seated at a table sort of across the restaurant. They end up moving on to the next bar a little bit before we were going to. And then we told them we'd catch up with them here in a few minutes. So now it's me. It's my girlfriend, Val. It's two other couples, our friends, Chase, Kelly, Morgan, and Brandon. And at this point, we've been there an hour and a half, two hours maybe, probably on the shorter side. Sun's going down, and Chase and Kelly decide they want to go watch the sunset. Beach is a quick walk away, maybe a block. We know they'll be gone 10, 15 minutes tops. While they're gone, two older guys in their mid-50s, early 60s, along with one woman, come up trying to grab our friend's seats, which were in between me and Val and our other friends, Brendan and Morgan, so we said, hey, sorry, our, our friends are actually sitting there. They just went to watch the sunset. They're going to be right back. And you could tell immediately that they were frustrated, but they walked away. Not even five minutes later, we hear them behind us chirping, asking, where are your friends? So we said, they're still at the beach. They'll be back soon. Not even another five minutes later, that goes by. And all of a sudden, one of these dudes just starts moving all of their stuff to the side. Hadn't even closed the tab. All their stuff is still sitting there. And he says, oh, your friends aren't coming back. They're going to have to find another seat. To which Val appropriately responded, wow, that's really rude. So they've only been gone for maybe 10 minutes at this point. And then we overhear one of the guys say, yeah, and this chick over here is being a total B word. Clear as day. They obviously wanted us to hear it. So Val turns to them and says, you know, you can say it to my face. You don't have to try and whisper it to your friend here. Called her a B word, expected her to just take it. So now we're going back and forth with these idiots. And our friends Morgan and Brendan jumped in to defend us. And once that happens, the same dude that called my girlfriend the B-word starts calling Morgan a dumb ASS. And now it's really getting into an argument. They're cussing at us. I'm watching the bartender try to get the older group's attention for a couple of minutes. And then he goes, all right, guys, that's it. Here's your checks. Pay them and leave. And he immediately kicked them out. It was the absolute perfect ending to the way that these jerks were acting. If you want any validation on who was very in the wrong here, it's the people who got kicked out of the bar and not us. So it's amazing to me that despite us being half their age, we managed to be the more mature ones. These guys were incredibly misogynistic, a couple of drunks, just thought that they could push around. So wanted to give a shout out as well as to the incredibly strong women that refused to back down to these sexist jerks who were cussing in their face. Valerie and Morgan, love you both. Y'all are tough as nails. We're back with more tomorrow night. Tech Talk Live is coming up next on 1067 The Fan. Big ups to my producer, Vic Ferreira, back in studio. Thank you, buddy. Everybody have a great Thursday night. Talk to you guys tomorrow night. I'm hosting overtime from 630 to 9. Until then, be safe, be kind, and be well. I'm out of here. Deuces.